listen, it's about players, man. And you guys went out and played. Put the work in every single day, and Sunday is a good time. Now, is this fun? This is exactly what we needed, right? So proud of you guys. I love you. I believe in you. We gotta keep stacking them together. Sure. Sure. It's we gotta roll now. Yeah. You got me? Sure. Sure. Enjoy it tonight, man. But I'm just telling you, if you're done with it tomorrow, it's on the Cowboys. Yes. And here we go. Another edition of Jamal about sports on a Monday, September 24th, 2018. What you just heard was a jubilant. And a very relieved Lions locker room. And especially head coach Matt Patricia after last night's, I wouldn't say thrilling, but I would say important victory over the Patriots 26 to 10. Lots of show to get to. We've got all of week three in the NFL. And if we have time, we will get to the last week of the Major League Baseball season as there are still playoff positions and divisions to be decided. But we start with my Lions, and for once, for the first time in a long time, as we date back to preseason, a very happy discussion about the Detroit Lions. Now, we talked about week one, the disaster against the Jets. Week two, at times hideous, looked a little better, though. I liked the fight that they showed down 30-13. to 13. Had a very good chance to get back and tie that game at the very least. A couple things didn't go their way. Penalty called on the big interception. We talked about all of it. But the main theme so far has been the fact that Matt Patricia has brought in, and as I always say, the dreaded culture change, right? And what exactly does that mean? As I stated on the show last week, I didn't think, you know, you, X's and O's, that's fine. Want to implement a new system? Sure. You know, players come and go all the time in the NFL. Of course, you're always... Teams are constantly churning their roster. I mean, the Patriots are Exhibit A. Um, But the one thing that I thought that was not in need of fixing was the Lions culture. I thought Caldwell and his staff, and Bob Quinn, to be fair, because he's been the GM here now for three years, has established a culture that, frankly, is professional and one of accountability. Now, are there still too many kind of as my dad and I like to call them self-anointed superstars still lingering around, you know, guys who are good and maybe, you know, above average players, but because they're the Lions, they're, they're completely, you know, overrated by the fans, the organization, the media. And there's still a hint of that that takes place, I think. But for the most part, I think there's been accountability and professionalism. And so when I heard culture change... You know, I rolled my eyes. And by the way, I'm sure a lot of players did too. Because, you know, you can say what you want about Caldwell as far as his X's and O's acumen, or in some instances lack thereof. Those players respected him and and cared about him and played hard for him. Now, 
I understand, again, it's the Lions. And so we look at the last four years under Caldwell, nine and seven, three of those four years, seven and nine the other year. No playoff wins, two playoff appearances. We all know about 14. I won't mention it again, although I just did. I can't help myself. 2014 game against the Cowboys should have been a win. And listen, while yes, that's, you know, it's not, it's certainly not Matt Mellon, Matt Millen uh, catastrophe era. Um, and sadly, Martin Mayhew's as well. It ain't great. You're kind of at the margins. You're sort of in that, that in-between zone where, you know, you're not getting top 10 draft picks. But you're not making the playoffs, or if you do, you're kind of squeaking in, and you're not making any noise when you get there. And so, listen, Patricia's going to do things his way. You have to give the coach the leeway to do that. Now, do I think taking away the ping pong table, for instance, is dumb? Yeah, I do. But, you know, Collinsworth made a good point last night. And, look, there had been rumblings that the player's not happy. Right? Longer practices, much longer practices, more physical practices under Patricia than there ever were under Caldwell. Caldwell treated these guys like men. You know, that's not what Patricia believes in, obviously. And it's uncomfortable, right? Change is uncomfortable. I don't care what walk of life one is in. I don't care if it's personal, professional, whatever it is. Change is uncomfortable. And it, it doesn't always go smoothly early. Oftentimes, it's a hard road early. And certainly, after the preseason and weeks one and two, it was certainly fair to question whether or not these changes were the right changes. And look, one win over, let's be frank, a compromised Patriots team. And when I say compromised, I'm not even talking about the fact they were down three starters on defense last night. Okay, they were. Um, Patrick Chung is not great anymore. He was never great. He's okay. They're safety. Uh, Trey Flowers is a good defensive lineman. Uh, he's not Reggie White. And uh, Eric Rowe was a former bust pick that the Patriots are, you know, one of their classic reclamation projects. The cornerback. So, yes, I understand they were missing three starters. None of those guys are, are, are major difference makers. Maybe Flowers. Maybe. But and just in general, look, I've been saying this for uh, since all last year. Patriots defense just isn't all that good. Okay? They got rolled by the Chiefs last year. When the Steelers needed a big drive against them late in the game, they went right down the field, got bailed out by a ridiculous call. And they still put up a ton of yards and points in that game. And they got smoked by Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. Okay, And if Jacksonville didn't take their foot off the gas, they, they wouldn't have even been in the Super Bowl. So, Patriots defense, not that good. So, that's what I mean by compromise. This, you know, and I understand, I'm sure they'll figure out a way to right the ship somewhere along the way. You know, at some point, at some point, not having any players is going to catch up to you. And I understand everybody thinks Stephon Gilmore is great. He's a nice player. Darius Slay's better. Darius Slay's a better cornerback than Stephon Gilmore. You know, am I afraid of Lawrence Guy, the nose tackle, or Malcolm Brown, one of their other defensive ends? 
No. Kyle Van Noy's their best linebacker? I mean, I know he had a decent year for them last year. Like, that was one of the worst players I've ever seen when he was on the lines. Yeah, Hightower's a nice player. The other One of their other linebackers. But, I mean, again, then the Patriots, you know, Devin McCourty was a nice player for a long time. He's getting old. And his brother was never that good to begin with. So, I mean, the Patriots' defense is not that good. Now, I'm not trying to take anything away from the lines. But I'm just saying, one win over a team that I know, you know, everybody sees the logo and the name and they think is the greatest team since, you know, in, in, in the history of football. Well, they were at times, but this year's version of that is not that. However, you just heard, and, and, and I wish I could show you the video. If you watch the video of what I just played for you, that, and I understand it's coming off of a win, but that is a team that certainly has not quit on its coach, which some had uh, suggested. And I loved some of the things Patricia said there. I love you. It's all about you, players. Feel good about it. But I've got to tell you, tomorrow when we come in, it's on to Dallas. You know, Caldwell was big on victory Mondays, right? You went on Sunday. You have a very light day. Maybe come in, and, come in if you want. If you don't, you don't have to. You know, only the guys that need treatment come in. Patricia doesn't do victory Mondays. But if they start putting together some wins, no one's going to care. See, winning cures all ills. We know that. But it's hard. Change is hard. Listen, I can tell you (laughs) from my own personal experience in my actual profession, you know, we just had a change at my job in leadership. And I was a little skeptical at first and really not all that into my job for a little bit. And we had some meetings last week, and I got to spend some time with some of the new leadership and listen to what they have to say. And I realized that if I were him, I'd be asking the same things of his employees that they're asking of us. And the guy's smart, and he knows what he's doing, and he cares, and he wants to see that we're successful. Well, guess what? My attitude has completely changed. I'm, in, I'm, I'm, in, I'm reinvigorated now. And I think the same can apply to the Lions. You know, you get that one win under your belt. Now, all of a sudden, you see the results. And you say, oh, maybe there is a method to the madness here. Of course, we shall see. Big game coming up against AG's Cowboys this Sunday in Dallas. Certainly will not be easy. Um, But... I have to tell you, I mean, I was so stressed about watching that game last night. <laughs> I mean, I went in with low expectations because I go into every game with low expectations. But secretly, if you put me under a polygraph or you shot me full of truth serum, I would have told you the Lions going to win this game. Because, again, I'm not afraid of the Patriots, particularly their defense. Now, I'm afraid of Tom Brady, of course. And you got to give Patricia credit and Pasqualoni's defensive coordinator and, of course, all the players on defense. They did a tremendous job. 
holding Brady to under 200 yards passing, forcing him into an interception, forcing him into a, an, an intentional grounding late in that game. And the Patriots got nothing done. Lions got two fir- huge three, th- uh, third and one stops. Patriots running game did nothing until some garbage time draw plays to, to James White. I mean, and, and that's the thing. It was like the Lions had a ferocious pass rush and Brady was under constant pressure. No, as a matter of fact, the Lions rushed three guys a lot. But that back end played outstanding. Lions secondary was tremendous last night. And it's nice to see Glover Quinn bounce back with a good game. Darius Slade does what he does. Big interception in the fourth quarter. Quandre Diggs. I mean, look, even the touchdown he gave up, Quandre Diggs had great coverage. That's just, you know, that's one of the, that's just Brady being Brady with one of those laser pinpoint ridiculous throws that about three guys in the league can make, and he's one of them. You know, you just tip your cap. Even Jared Davis showed some signs of life last night. Still not sold on him, but he showed some signs. Ashawn Robinson showed some signs last night. I mean, the whole defense played well. Eli Harold, who is looking like a potential steal that the Lions got for a seventh-round draft pick in August from the 49ers, contributing with two sacks, albeit one, granted, one was a, a, a covered sack, but nevertheless, you know what? He, he kept fighting. He kept working. And that was the other thing I love that Patricia said. What did he say? He said, keep working, keep digging. Love it. Love it. And look, I'll be the first to admit, it's been tough. You know, I watched that guy with his Hobo Joe look on the sidelines with the dumb pencil behind his ear and the lumberjack beard and the hat on backwards, you know, and his disheveled, his general disheveled look. And, you know, the fact that he's the deep coordinator for the Patriots, I, it, it's, it's hard to embrace a guy that you've spent 10 years rooting against. It's like when the Mets signed Tom Glavin. I wasn't excited about that. First of all, I wasn't any good. But second of all, <laughs> I mean, he was okay. I shouldn't say he wasn't any good. He was fine. He wasn't the ace that the Mets thought they were getting, of course. But, you know, it's hard. But we'll see. Step one. The other nice thing about the game, just from a football standpoint, was how well the offensive line played. You know, it was piss poor against the Jets in week one, somewhat better against the 49ers last week. And the 49ers have a good front. You know, they have three first-round draft picks on that defensive line in Buckner, Armstead, and, and Solomon Thomas. Um, last night it was outstanding. Now, again, Patriots defensive line, not great by any stretch. But the Lions dominated them. I mean, they really did. Up until Eric Decker getting beat badly for a sack and then getting called for what could have been a critical holding play that negated a huge third down conversion, the Lions offensive line dominated. T.J. Lang, I have to tip my cap to him. He played an outstanding game. Frank Ragnow, who struggled mightily against the Niners last week, was outstanding last night, paving the way for on Johnson, who we'll get to in a second. And Glasgow looked good. I mean, good, good. Rick Wagner, who's looked good all year so far, looked the right tackle looked good. It's the best. That is the best game an offensive line by the Lions has played. I'm going to say since maybe 2011, when they had Jeff Backus, 
Rob Sims at left guard, Rayola at right at, at center, Gazer Sherrill is a right tackle. And why am I forgetting the right guard on that team? But that, that offensive line was outstanding in 2011 when Stafford had his best year ever with the 5,000 yards and the 41 touchdowns. I mean, and, and, and that's, a, by the way, well, no, 2013 is the last time before last night the Lions had had a 100-yard rusher. I mean, look, Kerryon Johnson had only 16 carries to get 100 yards, 101. Nine of his carries went for five yards or more. But his longest run was 15 yards. So it wasn't like he was being bottled up all night and then he sprung one big one. No, he was consistently ripping off four, five, six yards a pop. Even the line's bad runs, at least on first down, were three yards. Where in years past, a first down run was almost always for no gain or for a loss. And look, LeGarrette Blount was okay. He wasn't great. He had some decent runs. I mean, look, to me, if you're the other team, you almost breathe a sigh, sigh of relief when he's in the game. I mean, I think, I think and slash hope that as the season progresses, he will see less and less time and will be used primarily as a short yard specialist goal line guy. And, you know, every now and then to give carry on a blow. But carry on Johnson, I, will, I am happy to report that I was a thousand percent wrong about him. I didn't like the Lions. First of all, I don't like trading up in general, but I especially didn't like them trading up for him. I thought Darius Geis, if they were going to make the trade up for running back, it needed the pick needed to be Darius Geis. Now listen, Darius Geis may turn out to be a great player. I think he will, but you know he blew out his knee for the Redskins. Just because he blew out his knee for the Redskins doesn't mean it would have happened if he was with, on the Lions. But nevertheless, Karen Johnson looks phenomenal because he can catch the ball. He threw a great block on the blitz pickup last night, and certainly he is a shifty uh, runner. Falls forward, doesn't get knocked back a lot, gets extra yardage. He's not a burner, but I bet you he has a couple of explosive plays this year. He's close. You could tell there was a couple of runs last night where he was just a missed tackle or a quick move away from, from you know, really exploding. So he was a revelation, and he'd shown signs. You know, unfortunately, the lines were trailing so badly in the first two games at times couldn't really run the ball with any consistency. But he, he showed it a little bit in the preseason. He showed it a little bit in the first two games. And then last night, boy, it all came to fruition. So I am, I, I listen, I'm, I, I'm, I, you know me. You ever listen to the show, I will readily admit when I'm wrong. And he, I was 1,000% wrong about him. That's a player. Kudos, Bob Quinn. I hammer Bob Quinn a lot. Got to give credit where credit is due. Nice job. And then the other one is Kenny Galladay. I mean, that guy is starting to look like an absolute beast. He is going to be a problem for teams to deal with. I mean, he's 6'4", about 220 pounds. He's fast. He's got body control. I, I, he's a problem. I mean, you have him, Golden Tate, and Marvin Jones. You know, you don't need a tight end. And the Lions know that. Don't tell the Lions beat writers that, by the way. They're still obsessed with the fact that Eric Ebron was a top 10 tight end last year. By the way, just a little quick sidebar. Uh, Colts, the Colts coaches, Frank Reich in particular, and their fans got treated to the full Eric Ebron experience yesterday. Drop touchdown. Having DBs that he outweighs by 70 pounds rip the ball out of his hands on contested catches, not knowing where he was on the field so he couldn't get his feet down and bounds on a catch on the sidelines. A complete nondescript 
provided zero impact in a close game that was there for the taking for the Colts yesterday and dropped a, a, a key touchdown in that game. Now, did the D-back ultimately get the ball out of his hands? Yeah, but it hit him first, and instead of securing it right when it came into his body, it was loose. And that allowed the D-back to rip it through. But again, you know, the defensive back, you're talking about a guy who's 180 pounds. Eric Ebron's 250 pounds. Again, talk about a guy who does not play to his measurables. Eric Ebron, exhibit A. Oh, and there was another play where he caught a pass and could have broken a tackle, but of course, and gotten a key first down and didn't. Sorry, I can't help myself. But if the offensive line plays like it did yesterday, now again, I understand that Patriots defensive front is not that good. And they're not going to obviously have games like that for the rest of the season. But if they can just hold up enough, give Carrion Johnson enough room, give him enough creases, give Stafford just enough time. I mean, they don't have to be, you know, what the Cowboys' offensive line was two years ago when it was one of the best that we've seen in recent memory. But just don't be awful. And this offense should be very good. Now, look, I didn't love Patricia not going for uh, the first down and kicking the field goal early in the game in the first drive when it was fourth and inches when the Lions were running the ball down their throats. Got, ended up getting away with it. And I didn't hate his explanation. He's like, look, it's the first drive of the game. You want to come away with points? I don't hate that. You know, general rule of thumb, you're not beating Tommy with uh, field goals, but guess what? Worked last night. Um, you know, the other two times, they, 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 had, they had two other opportunities inside the red zone, first and goals. Both were first and goal from the nine, which was, we talk about on the show all the time. Really hard to score there because you can't get a first down. Field gets shrunken down and, and, and condensed, although they did get the one to Galladay. And then Stafford did have carry on Johnson wide open in the flat on the third down play where he missed Marvin Jones. Um, so, you know, and that's, again, that's the other encouraging sign. You know, what I loved about last night's game was it was very unlion-like in the sense that, you know, when the Lions have had these upset wins in the past, usually somebody goes crazy, right? Stafford goes for 350 yards. Or if you want to go back to the, you know, the 90s when the Lions were facing uh, 0-4 and had a Monday night game against the, the Niners, you know, Barry Sanders went nuts, right? I mean... That's usually where the defense goes crazy and has a you know ton of sacks or pick sixes or you know sacks strip sacks whatever. It's usually you know a full on blitzkrieg. Somebody has a monster game somewhere in there and the Lions just roll. Last night was not that game. Last night was workmanlike. It was methodical. Right, Stafford had a nice game, 260 yards, two touchdowns, the one bad pick that set the Patriots up for their one touchdown. You know, spread the ball around, no 100-yard receivers, no big fantasy stats. You know, Karen Johnson, yeah, he had a nice game. Everyone's going crazy because it's the first time in five years lines have had a 100-yard rusher. But, you know, 16 carries, 101 yards is really good. He had a really good game. But, you know, when 180 yards and two touchdowns, including a 50-yard touchdown run, wasn't anything like that. Same thing on defense. They had two sacks. One was a covered sack. They had one interception. No fumble recoveries. They just played sound, smart football. And really, the only penalties that showed up, no pre-snap penalties, by the way, not one. Not one. No false starts, no illegal motions, no little shifts, no not lining up properly, no offsides on defense, no 12 men on the field, 
None of that. Didn't have to burn timeouts because the play clock was running down. None of that. The only penalties they had called were on an interception return by Slay, which is a garbage call. I saw the play. They called a crackback block or some nonsense on Tavon Wilson. He, was, he, he ran over and he had his head across the guy's face and lit him up. It's called football. I know they're trying to get rid of football and football, but that was a garbage penalty, which was a potentially big play at the time because uh, it was about 30 yards of field position. You know, the Slay returned that out to the 50, and then the Lions ended up with the ball on the 20. Uh, and then, of course, on a punt return, the Lions have, uh, are, I mean, can, can just please, can one time when Jamal Agnew gets a good punt return, can we not get called for a legal hold on the, uh, a legal block in the back, please, on Tracy Walker? Can we, can we get that once? Because it's happened twice now already. You had the face mask on Nevin Lawson that was, that was kind of silly on, when the guy was already going out of bounds. Other than that, no major penalties. Clean game. Workmanlike, professional, methodical. These are words rarely, if ever, associated with the Detroit Lions football squad. So, needless to say, extremely happy, extremely encouraged. Now, of course, next Monday, when they lay an egg on the road against the Cowboys, I'll be singing a different tune. <laughs> but I honestly don't think they will. Now, they may not win the game. But I think what we saw in that Jets game, that's gone. I don't think we'll be seeing that again. I think this win validates what Patricia's been preaching for the last, let's say, I mean, because honestly, he's been there since when? February, March, and all the OTAs and training camp and all that stuff. So you got to say it's been about eight months. I do. I think that win last night, if you, you watch that video, that post-game locker room, that, I mean, and look, ordinarily I'd be like, you know, guys, it's one win, relax. I, I, no, not in this case. They needed that in the worst ways. National TV, they already got embarrassed on national TV once. And it's the Patriots. I understand I just spent the last 15 minutes telling you the Patriots aren't any good. Doesn't matter. Because the name still counts. All right, we'll be back with more NFL right after this. Okay, we're back here on the Monday evening quarterback edition of Jamal About Sports. So, other team we talked about that was very similar to the Lions in a lot of respects are the Giants. Also facing the possibility of starting the year 0-3. Also with a new coach. Also with, you know, an offense that basically is going to go as far as its offensive line will take it. Because they've got... You know, although, you know, the, the, obviously the major difference is the quarterback in the sense that, you know, Eli's 37, Stafford's 30, Stafford's still in his prime, Eli could be, is on the back nine of his career, but, you know, talented skill positions, talented quarterbacks, uh, shaky offensive line, and we saw it on the Sunday night game against the Giants, I mean, against the Cowboys, the, the Giants offensive line did not perform very well. They came in playing on the road against another desperate team, the, the Texans, who were also 0-2, who you know, got their, 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 their young stud quarterback, Deshaun Watson, back to start the year after you know, he set the world on fire for about four games last year until he got hurt. And obviously they've got J.J. Watt back, and they've got Jadavian Clowney and uh, Whitney Merciless. You know, they, that defense can pose problems, particularly with their pass rush. So look to be a challenging game for the Giants, to say the least. Um, 
and Giants to their credit. So first of all, a couple of things if you're a Giants fan, and even if you're not a Giants fan, if you're just an observer like I am, although I'm, 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 I'm liking the Giants more and more every week, I have to tell you. I mean, listen, I'm probably never going to give up on the Lions. I mean, I, I've hung in this long, 40 years. Why, why stop now? <laughs> but to use perhaps an indelicate phrase, uh, if, the, if the Lions are my, my wife, the Giants are my mistress. And, I mean, listen, it goes back to when they beat Green Bay in that ridiculous 40-blow game in 08, right, and then beat the, 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 the Patriots in the Super Bowl, the 16-0 Patriots. And then it goes back, and then you throw in 2011 when they beat the Patriots again in the Super Bowl, and the, end of, the, the final score ended up winning me 10 grand in a, in a, uh, in a Super Bowl box. <laughs> Throwing the fact that I got a lot of fans that are Giants, you know, a lot of friends that are Giants fans, and look, I, I I appreciate the way the Giants go about their business. I respect that organization. Now they've had some hiccups. Jerry, uh, Jerry Reese did not do a very good job these last five years, and they had they they, they were a bit of a clown show last year. And hiring uh, uh, Ben McAdoo was as puzzling a move as you're going to get. But you know what? This is what you get you give the Giants credit for. They're not afraid to admit mistakes. They moved on. And look, I don't know if Pat Shermer is going to be a great coach or not. You know, he seems pretty nondescript. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes a strong, silent type's a good thing. And you know what I love that he did last week? First and foremost is he benched Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers has been an unmitigated disaster since the day the Giants drafted him. It was a terrible pick at the time. Everybody knew it was a massive reach. He was young. He was immature. Yes, he's got a huge body. He played at Miami. That's about it. I mean, if, that, if Eric Flowers played for a MAC team, he would have been a sixth-round pick project. But because he played at the U, okay, he was considered a first-round pick because he played a position, a primary position in the NFL, left tackle. Well, he was lousy as a left tackle. Giants slipped him over to the right side. He was lousy as a right tackle, too. And guess what? Pat Schirmer saw it for two weeks and said, okay, I've had enough. That's it. And by the way, don't think that doesn't send a message to the rest of the team, too. And, what a, and it's an extremely smart decision by Pat Schirmer on both, uh, for, for both those reasons, right? Number one, makes your team better. And number two, now everybody else is on notice. We don't care. Hey, you might have been the first-round draft pick. We don't care. It's about production here. You play well, you play. You don't play well, you don't play. That's it. And a discussion. And you know what? You don't have to excoriate the kid in the press. Let the press do that. Let the press take their shots at him. You don't have to say that. You know, I saw him there. Oh, you know, he didn't play that badly against Dallas. Everybody gets all upset and whatever. That's fine. Because guess what? Players know that. They recognize that. These are people. They're not robots. As long as he's handling his business in the locker room, that's what players care about. And when you, when you rip guys in the media, particularly in New York, where there are no shortage of people here to do, that, do your bidding for you as a coach, that, that doesn't help anything. So that was step one. The other thing is Eli played great yesterday. I mean, he was 22 for 29. Biggest play of the game. And look, the Giants got out to a great start, 20 to 3. Texans kind of inched their way back in the game. And then when it was 20, hold on, 20 to 15, 
And the Giants face a third down inside the 10. I love that they let Eli throw the ball. They didn't get conservative and say, oh, let's just kick the field goal here and go up eight and force them to get a touchdown and two point. And worse, we'll be tied. No, 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 no. When you have a chance to put the hammer down, put the hammer down. And Eli was, made a great throw to Sterling Shepard in the end zone for a touchdown. Coverage wasn't terrible, but Nordrick McKinney, the middle linebacker, had pretty decent coverage. It was a tight window throw. But if you're not going to trust Eli Manning to make the right play in that spot in the game, then don't have him be your quarterback. So good job on Shermer there because he calls the plays. Great job by Eli. Recognized they were going to du- double cover OBJ. My guy Barkley, you know, had that first touchdown run, again, making guys look silly. Power, had a big catch late. You know, looked looked nimble and agile for a guy as big as he is. I mean, he's really a revelation. He really is. Plus about as good a kid as you're going to ever want to have on your team. Giants defense held up well enough. Beautiful interception by Alec Ogletree in the red zone. And now guess what? Game back on. Giants season back on. Lions season back on, by the way. Vikings got smashed by the Bills at home yesterday. They're 1-0-1. Oh uh, sorry, they're 1-1-1. Packers got rolled by the Redskins yesterday. They're 1-1-1. One, one, and the Bears are leading the division at 2-1. I watched them play against the Cardinals yesterday. First of all, Sam Bradford shockingly stunk up the joint again. Big surprise there. They went to Josh Rosen late in that game to try to bring them back to win. Uh, I watched that. Yes, that Bears defense is good. Khalil Mack's great. Get it? Mitch Trubisky was awful yesterday. And if Trey Boston, the safety for the Cardinals, could catch, Arizona would have won that game. Trubisky hit him right in the hands with an interception in the red zone that ended up leading to a Bears field goal. And they ended up winning by two. So... uh, Line season, back on. They win against Dallas this week, game on. Season back on. I mean, it is now. They'll be right in the catbird seat. Same thing goes for the Giants. Cowboys are one and two. You know, Eagles looked okay yesterday against, I understand it was Wentz's first game back. I get it. But they're not infallible. It's a good team, obviously, the Eagles, but they're not infallible. And you know what? The Redskins might be better than people think. Look, I said it last week. I think the Redskins defense should be good. I mean, they got nine guys from Alabama on that defense. They should be good. Now, the offense ain't great. You know, although, look, Adrian Peterson uh, had a throwback game yesterday. Now, I think Green Bay's defense isn't very good. And yet another one was ridiculous rough in the passer penalties calling Clay Matthews yesterday. Again, but enormous win for the Giants yesterday. Duh, I know, Captain Obvious. But again, same thing. Workmanlike. Professional. I mean, OBJ had a nice game. Moved the chains, but he didn't go crazy. Nine catches for, what, 90 yards? Or 100 yards on nine catches. No touchdowns. Shepard chipped in with, what, six for 80 and a touchdown. Engram got hurt. They didn't have much of tight end. Red Ellison filled in nicely. Had a big touchdown in the game. Barkley had a good game. Not, you know, didn't go bananas. 16 for 80 with the touchdown. Caught another three passes for 35 yards. You know, defense played well. 
It was just a good, solid, go on the road, handle your business. Very encouraging. If you're a Giants fan, you should be very encouraged after yesterday's game. And look, you know, Chad Wheeler, who replaced Eric Flowers, he didn't play great. J.J. Watt had three sacks. I think two against, came against him. Had another tackle for loss. You know, J.J. Watt was also the gold standard right now at, at defensive ends in the league. I mean, the guy's ridiculous. And you know what? Wheeler battled, though. And he also threw a couple of good blocks on some runs that helped seal the edge. And he battled. He hung in there. All right, moving on to the other local team, the Jets, coming off the, the, the very disappointing or frustrating, I guess you could say, loss to the Browns, right? Browns hadn't won in about nine years, or <laughs> so it seemed. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I, I feel bad for the Jets. I do. I, I, if you ever heard my show before, I, you know, I used to like the Jets on a par with the Lions back in the day, right? Richard Todd, Freeman McNeil, Johnny Hector. Stan Blinka, Greg Buttle, Lance Mel, the Sack Exchange, Gastineau, Kleko, Abdul Salam, Marty Lyons, Johnny Ray in the secondary, Bobby Jackson, Kurt Sohn. I mean, I, 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 I give you, a, I mean, I can give you, a, I, I'm not looking at a piece of paper. This is just all off the top of my head. I used to love the Jets. So I know ill will towards the Jets, but I mean, I'm sorry. Is there anything more Jets-like than being the, the, the first team to break, to, 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 to break the, the, the Browns' winless streak, number one? Number two, of course, they knocked Tyrod Taylor out of the game, just looked great early. Knocked Tyrod Taylor out of the game, and of course, that's the worst thing that can happen to him because then Mayfield comes in, energizes the place. The place went nuts. He played well. And then the Jets shot themselves in the foot again. I mean, the, the, uh, Isaiah Crowell on his second touchdown, former Brown, you know, pretended like he was wiping his butt with the ball, got a 15-yard penalty. You know, you, you, you got uh, – uh, who committed the idiotic penalty that kept the drive alive? Forget who it was now. Was it Claiborne? Claiborne also got calls for a holding in the end zone on a two-point conversion, gave him another shot at it. And then, of course, the Browns converted to tie the game. Uh, I mean, listen, this stuff keeps happening under Todd Bowles. And since their first surprise year at 10-6, and 6, Jets are 11-27 and 27 under Todd Bowles. It's time for Todd Bowles to go. I'm sorry. You know, I don't understand why anybody thought this guy's a good coach to begin with. Why? Because Bill, Bill Parcells gave him his blessing eight years ago when he was assistant with the Dolphins. I mean, what, what has Todd Bowles ever done except run a team – that's week in and week out one of the more undisciplined teams you'll ever see. And it's a shame because, look, the Jets have some talented players now. You know, Isaiah Crowell is actually a very good running back if he could stop acting like a jackass. You know, and look, Darnold's struggling that game. That's to be expected. He's a 21-year-old rookie QB. You know, just because he carved up an ill-prepared Lions defense in week one doesn't mean a whole lot. But, you know, Jamal Adams is a hell of a player at safety for the, for the Jets. Claiborne's actually a good corner when he plays. He's always hurt when he was always hurt when he was with Dallas. And, of course, got hurt with the Jets last year. You know, Buster Screens, eh. But, you know, even in that Lions game, 
This Perry Nickerson, a rookie six-round pick out of uh, Tulane, uh, his first play ever, makes a tackle against the Lions and taunts, gets called for taunting. What are you, out of your mind? I mean, Todd Bowles, you can't have that. But it happens every week, every week with the Jets. It's got to be it for him. I mean, this, is, this has to be it for Todd Bowles. I'm sorry. You've got a rookie quarterback now that you're trying to build around. You've got some other good young pieces on that team. Time for him to go. Sorry. He may be a good X's and O's guy on defense. You know, look, it doesn't mean Todd Bowles is a bad guy. Some guys are just not cut out to be a head coach. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's good, uh, cut out to be a good D coordinator. Not cut out to be a good head coach. Or he hasn't, certainly hasn't displayed it with the Jets. And I understand. Look, the wins and losses aren't only on him. Jets did not, not exactly had a Super Bowl caliber roster. I understand that. Geno Smith, Christian Hackenberg, Bryce Petty. I get it. Their quarterback situation has been a complete nightmare for the most part. I understand that. But, I mean, these, these things can't continue. But, by the way, Jets fans, no offense, but, and, and, and Jet and New York media, this idea that how dare they lose to the Browns, I keep telling people, don't listen to me. That's fine. Ignore me at your peril. The Browns are a talented team. They've got talent up and down that roster. They've got it at all three levels on defense. That D-line is ferocious. Larry Ogunjobi D-tackle is tremendous. We all know about Miles Garrett. Um, Emmanuel Ogba from Oklahoma State defense. We didn't even play in a Jets game. is also really good. This Joe Schobert, a linebacker, is good. Jamie Collins can play. Denzel Ward, the, the, the corner that they drafted this year from Ohio State, is a player. And then on offense, they've got skill position players. Now, Carlos Hyde's a good running back. They're not even new, using Nick Chubb yet. And Joku, the tight end they drafted out of Miami last year, has got talent. Jarvis Landry is a really good wide receiver. The Callaway kid's got talent. Now, listen, he'll probably get himself suspended at some point this year. But when he plays, you got he's, he's a problem. And Baker Mayfield's good. Now, look, he's going to have games where he struggles too, of course. But if you ever heard me before the draft, during the draft, he was my guy. Baker Mayfield was my guy, my favorite quarterback in this draft class. And if we use history as our guide, half of the guys that went in this draft class are either going to be backups or out of the league in five years, and another, probably a couple of them are going to be franchise-caliber guys, and maybe another one will be so-so somewhere in between. So, you know, this idea that how dare the Jets lose to the Browns, but who, by the way, I'm sorry, who are the Jets? You're 11-27 and 27 in your last 38 games. Browns are a more talented team than the Jets are. All right, let's do a little whip around the league. So, uh, you know, my Chargers, I mean, hey, I say my Chargers because, I, 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 you know, I like watching them. I think they've got a very talented roster. And, you know, the, and here in New York, they're always playing the 430 game for the most part. And so there's only, generally speaking, only a couple of games at that hour. So I always watch them or I watch a lot of them. Um, special teams again. I mean, I understand they lost 35-23 yesterday. They, <laughs> they, if they had even like not, uh, special teams that weren't a complete and total disaster, 
They might be 3-0. They definitely would have made the playoffs last year. And it went, but it bit them again yesterday. So they get a beautiful interception by uh, Derwin James, a rookie ki- uh, safety out of Florida State. But like a dummy, instead of just taking in the end zone, instead of just taking a knee, he tries to run it out and gets and goes out of bounds at the one yard line. So now, of course, they're backed up right at their own one. They don't get a yard. Right, they almost got a safety. Sue crushed Melvin Gordon. He barely got the ball past the goal line. And then they get a uh, block for a touchdown. <laughs> and they missed an extra point again because they can't ever get a kicker. They can, they can make kicks. I mean, it's unbelievable. So I understand the score is 35-23. Well, you don't get a pump block for a touchdown. That's 28-23. 28-24, if you freaking kicker can make an extra point, change the complexion of that game. Chargers, I'm telling you, the Chargers are a talented roster. They're secondary. I mean, up and down that defense, all three levels talent. They've got playmakers on offense. Melvin Gordon's a stud. This is Austin Eckler, the other running back's good. Rivers still gets it done even with that ugly, funky throwing motion. And now Mike Williams, the kid they drafted out of Clemson last year, Looks like he's arrived now after a, a mostly nondescript injury played rookie year. He was a beast yesterday. He's going to be a handful for teams to deal with. Tyrell Williams can play. We know about Keenan Allen, one of the best as far as work in the middle of the field and moving the chains. You know, even Antonio Gates at 90 years old still gets it done. I mean, that, that, that's a talented team. Get your special teams together. I don't understand why this is so hard for them. Go out and get a kicker who can make a damn kick. Moving on. What if I told you that there's a quarterback in a league who's in his last 12 starts was 11-1? and one, And I asked you to give me five choices as to who that guy was. You'd probably say Brady, Rodgers... Maybe uh, Carson Wentz. Well, it's none of the above. It's And I can't even believe I'm going to say this because you know I have not a lot of high regard for this guy. But Ryan Tannehill is somehow 11-1 and in his last 12 games. Now, I understand he missed pretty much all last year. But the Dolphins are off to a 3-0 start. Um, I don't know how, but they are. And Ryan Tannehill's 11-1 in the last three. Big thing in that game, though, William Hayes starting defensive end uh, on a sack. And who did they, who did they beat yesterday? Why, why, why am I completely blanking on this now? Who did the Chargers beat yesterday? Is there anybody any good? Let me see. Hang in. Hang there. Hang, hang tough. Uh, no, they beat the Raiders. Sorry. Okay. Raiders stink. 0-3. Shocker. Um, but uh, William Hayes, when sacking Derek Carr, because he was trying to not get called for this new stupid full weight of the body on the quarterback penalty, kind of planted his knee, blew out his knee. Now he's done for the year. 
Again, I told you, I mentioned it earlier, Clay Matthews got called on for it third week in a row. Most ridiculous call I've ever seen. I don't understand what a guy's supposed to do. Yes, he landed on top of the quarterback. I understand that. But what would you like him to do? He wrapped him up on the at the waist. What's he supposed to do then? Then call a tag. Make it tag football on the quarterback. If you put two hands on the quarterback, the play is whistled dead. If you don't want them ever getting put on the ground, then that's what you're going to have to do, NFL, because this is ridiculous. It's, in, it's insane. I mean, yeah, we all understand the intent here, right? Keep the quarterbacks upright. Keep them from getting hurt. We all understand that. But, you know, I mean, they, 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 they got rid of... You can't touch the quarterback anywhere around the helmet. I get it. Tommy Boy got hurt 10 years ago when a guy hit him in the knee. You can't hit him in the knee. Now you can't land on top of him because Aaron Rodgers got hurt. I mean, when does it end? You keep doing all these rules. I'm sorry. Injuries are going to happen in football. It's un- they are unavoidable. You have guys that are 300 pounds that run sub 540s. When they run into other guys that they're bigger than, that guy's going to get hurt. It's insane what they're trying to do with this rule. I mean, and not what they're trying to do, but this rule is 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 it it's 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 untenable. You can't ask guys to make what were for a million years legal form tackles that are now penalties. This is not picking the quarterback up and driving him into the ground. They instituted that rule probably about 10 years ago, and that's a f- smart rule, and that's easy to see, and you can tell the intent on those plays. But when a guy just tackles the quarterback normally but then happens to land on top of him and now that's a penalty, what, what do you want him to do? Tackle him and then and, and do a, re- a reverse uh, pike jackhammer backflip off the quarterback. I mean, it's ridiculous. All right. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be back to wrap it up with a little Major League Baseball right after this. All right. We are back here on the Monday evening quarterback edition of Jamal About Sports with a little baseball. So uh, finally, mercifully, if you will, <laughs> the season is in its last week. Uh, just a, one quick note on the Metropolitans. Uh, they have finished the season kind of strong here. They're only 10 games under 500. Uh, Michael Conforto has gone bananas since the All-Star break with 40 RBIs. He's up to 80 on the season. Uh, listen, um, I like Michael Conforto. Seems like a nice kid. I hope he turns out to be a really good player. Uh, I, I, I don't want to hear it. Okay, uh, He, Cespedes, and Jay Bruce wrecked the Mets season when there was still a season to be had. So I, I, I'm not interested in his window dressing, meaningless 40 RBIs. That's number one. Um, so, uh, But as I said, I think last week or two weeks ago, yeah, the most encouraging sign has been that Mats, Wheeler, and of course DeGrom – um, you know, Wheeler in particular and DeGrom and Syndergaard to a lesser extent. But th- those three guys all won double-digit games on a not very good team. And Matt's, while his record isn't very good, it looks like he's going to make 30 starts and has been relatively healthy and has also shown signs of being a very good pitcher. So that's your big takeaway. You hope that the Mets make a smart hire to run their baseball operations in the offseason and then they actually, the, the owners will get out of the way 
and they can go about the business of building around those pitchers and putting together a competitive roster on the field. Now, as far as the playoff picture is concerned, uh, the Yankees are 95 and 50. No AG here, by the way, to moan and groan about a team that's 45 games over 500. Um, uh, although I, get, I understand there are cracks. We, we, we've documented them here at, at, uh, at infinitum. Uh, Cleveland, obviously, we, we know about. Houston. So really the only, the only question left in the American League is whether or not the Yankees are going to host the wild card game, the playing game, or if it's going to be in Oakland. Right, Oakland essentially just needs to win one more game to wrap that spot up. They're 94 and 62. Now, listen, there are six games left, I guess, this week. Right? How many games the Yankees have? Hold on. Well, let's see. Let's see if I can do math. The Yankees are 95 and 60, so that means they played 100. Yeah, they've got seven games left, and the A's have their uh, they have six games left. The A's. So. You know, look, they're two games back in a lost column of the Yankees, right? The Yankees play the Red Sox, who are playing for nothing. You know, um, as a matter of fact, let's see. As I go old school and flip through my trusty New York Post sports section and find the Yankees' schedule, it should be somewhere in here. I thought I just saw it. Just bear with me for a second. Hmm. Of course, it's always when you want to find something that you can't find something. Uh, oh, here it is. Okay. So the Yankees are three, four games with Tampa and three with Boston. Now, by the way, what if I told you that Tampa Bay, <laughs> the Tampa Bay Rays have 86 wins. 86 wins. Right? Am I right? 87 wins. Sorry. Tampa can win 90 games this year. Tampa Bay could win 90 games. I mean, even if they lose the rest of their games, winning 87 is quite the accomplishment. Their manager should be manager of the year. I mean, it's going to go to Alex Cora, and you can't argue with a team that's going to win 100, at least 105 games. I get it. But, I mean, hell of a job. Hell of a job. So, really, that's all there is to it. I mean, you're going to have the Red Sox... Indians and Houston all won their divisions. Now it's between Oakland and Yankees for who plays at home in a one-game play-in. In the National League, uh, much more to be decided. So Braves have won their division. Phillies, as I've been predicting all year, by the way, really, really fell apart down a stretch. It's just not that good a team. I mean, look, they're going to finish around 500, which is better than I thought they would do, but, I mean, they're not all that good. Um, Chicago... In good shape at 91 and 64 with a three game lead in the loss column on the Brewers. Uh, the Brewers are in the driver's seat, though, as far as that first wild card is concerned. Well, I shouldn't say driver's seat, but they have a two game lead over St. Louis for that first wild card spot. Brewers at 89 and 67, Cardinals at 87 and 69. And then where it really gets dicey and juicy is in the, the National League West. Where you have the Dodgers at 87 and 69 in first place with only a game lead on Colorado in the loss column, a game and a half overall. Um, Arizona's pretty much done. They're 79 and 77. You can take them out of the mix. So, really, you've got Milwaukee, St. Louis, the Dodgers, and Colorado, right? One, two, three, 
Four teams battling for one, two. Wait, you got, sorry. Milwaukee, St. Louis, Los Angeles, and Colorado. So four teams battling for three spots, right? Because one's going to win in division in the West, either Colorado or Los Angeles. And one of them could be the wild card, or it could be Milwaukee, or it could be St. Louis. So that should be very interesting. And in fact, let's take a quick gander at the schedule. You know, look, it's always it's always tricky and dicey to, to try to predict baseball games and schedules. You know, oh, this team's they're playing a bad team. I mean, unless it's the Orioles, who by the way are forty five and one hundred and ten, <laughs> or the the Royals, who are fifty four and one hundred and two. Um, but let's just go to the schedule here, shall we? And take a look at. Actually, no. Let's not do it that way. Let's do it by team, shall we? Let's go to teams, and let's look first at the Brewers, the Brew Crew. Who, by the way, if the, Brew, if the Brewers would wear those Friday night uniforms at home that they wear all the time, those throwbacks with the, the purple and the yellow and the pinstripes, I, I would like them a lot more. That, that, that's by far their best uniform permutation. Just stick with that, please, and, and, and stop with the nonsense. Um. With that bad M with the with the with the with the with the malt grains in it or whatever. Do the old school with the baseball that also says MB in it. It looks like a glove with a baseball in it, which it is, but then also it secretly has the M and the B in it as well, which I didn't find out until about five years ago. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Alright. Oh, whoa. Okay. So this could decide it. Brewers play Cardinals next three games. So Brewers win two out of three. They're in great shape. Well, I mean, I don't have to do the math for you. You guys can figure it out on your own. And then they're home against the Tigers the last three games. You know, Tigers have had a wretched year. They are 63-93, a tidy 30 games under 500. All right. So St. Louis, Milwaukee, we know. Okay, so we know who the, the Cardinals' next three games are. Let's see who their last three games are. And if we go to Major League Baseball and we go to teams, okay, we are looking for the St. Louis Cardinals. We're going to schedule, and we got the Cardinals. The last three games are against uh, the Cubs. Now, ordinarily, that's, you know, that's like Hatfields and McCoys. It's three at Wrigley. I mean, the Cubs essentially have that wrapped up. I mean, I shouldn't say essentially. Look, Cubs lose a couple of games here. Uh, St. Louis sweeps Milwaukee, which they're not going to, but if they did, um, and they cut it to three or two, I mean, that series could mean something. Now, if the Cubs clinch the division, it'll be interesting to see how they play that series against the Cardinals. Now, you know, Madden may play that to win because they hate, you know, the Cardinals and the Cubs hate each other. But, you know, Madden, you would think, would be a little bit more sort of circumspect about that and kind of be like, well, you know, I- I'm-, I'm trying to get my team ready for the playoffs. I don't care about the damn Cardinals trying to knock them out of the playoffs. Who knows? We'll see. That could be very interesting, actually, that last series. And then we go out west and we'll take a look at who uh, the Rockies play. Let's see what their schedule is like these last three games. By the way, speaking of which, in, uh, in Dodgerville, 
Uh, Yasiel Puig has gone absolutely nuts the last couple of weeks. I think he's had like five home runs in two games last week. Okay. The Rockies last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. Four against the Phillies, three against uh, Washington, all at home. Right? Where the Rockies are, no surprise. Actually, they're not that great at home. They're 41 and 33. They're, 40, they're pretty much, their splits are even. They're eight over at home, seven over on the road. Huh. Interesting. So that's the Rockies, last seven. And, you know, look, the season's over for Philly. It's over for Washington. We'll see. I mean, I, I watched a little bit of the Mets play against the, the Nationals. The, the Nationals, uh, they're not exactly uh, <laughs> grinding it out, shall we say. And let's take a look at who the pod. I mean, and the, pod, the, the, the Dodgers, I mean, they just bludgeoned, as they should, the Padres. I mean, they did. They had the nerve to lose one game to them, and then they won 7-2, 14 um, The Dodgers are at Arizona. Not easy. You know, Arizona, although, wow, weird. Arizona's 38-40 and 40 at home. So you got Kershaw versus Robbie Ray tonight. You got Bueller versus uh, Coke on Tuesday, and Ross Stripling versus Greinke on Wednesday. And then the Dodgers finish at San Francisco. Listen, San Francisco's not had a good year, but again, that's another blood rival. And you, you can bet your bottom dollar San Francisco and Bruce Bochy would love nothing more than knock the Dodgers out of the playoffs. So be very interesting to see what happens this last week of the season as far as baseball is concerned. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud and on iTunes, Facebook, Jamal About Sports, JamalAboutSports.com, and on Twitter at JamalAboutSportNOS. Enjoy all the sports this week. We'll be back next week with another show. Until then, peace out.